Welcome to episode 161 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about the United States embargo on Cuba. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as the embargo on Cuba, the National Democratic Party, government monopolies, the COVID-19 vaccine, or the Senate filibuster comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, ThinkSpot, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and scroll down and give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. The pro-freedom and liberty protests in Cuba last month, that being July 2021, spawned a host of articles and talking head segments about the 60-year-old economic embargo by the United States on Cuba. Back in the day, before I started really thinking for myself and researching such things, I used to accept the line that embargoes and sanctions on certain problem countries were justified and the right thing to do. It seemed to make sense that you strangle the country, so to speak, making life there a little more difficult, and eventually the people would rise up and kick out the leadership, typically a communistic or authoritarian type. But as I began consuming content from thought leaders outside of my bubble over the last decade or so, I've come to realize that, as is with most things, this topic is not as cut and dry as I was led to believe. There seems to be three schools of thought on this issue. Number one, typically espoused by right-wingers who advocate for the continuation of, of the embargo. They point to Cuba's socialistic economic system as the root cause of the suffering of the Cuban people. The second one, typically espoused by the Cuban government and its left-wing supporters here in the States, always point to the embargo as the root cause of all the suffering of the island nation. The final camp I have come across is folks who argue that embargoes are wrong-headed, stupid, and in the end completely useless. Their argument is, you don't punish the people of a country because they have dictators leading their country. So let's see if we can get to the truth about the U.S. embargo on Cuba. In regards to number one, Cuba's socialistic economic system is the root cause of the suffering of the Cuban people. Unless you're Bernie Sanders, a member of the squad in Congress, or a brainwashed recent grad with a liberal arts degree, you would likely agree that socialism and communism are dismal, failed, deadly, and destructive economic systems that always brings with it tyranny and the impoverishment of its citizens. Just ask the people of North Korea and Venezuela, or look at the Soviet Union or any of the other dozen or so communistic regimes over the last 100 years. The reality is that while the embargo does have some impact on the island's economy and the population, it's not the principal reason the country's economy is in tatters, nor the reason Cubans took to the streets. They were, by their own accounts, fed up with the lack of food, the electrical blackouts, and the misery in general, and they were calling for a change of the system. It was the failure of the Cubans' centralized socialistic economy, decades of government mismanagement, and the lack of civil and political liberties that pushed thousands across the island to call for an end to the dictatorship and for freedom. 
Why is it that Cuba's economy is so sensitive to financial and political decisions made overseas? The reason is because the Cuban economy is not productive. After six decades of socialistic centralization, the country still does not produce enough to feed its population. Farmers are not allowed to freely cultivate and sell their crops. Fishing fleets and individual fishermen are not allowed to sell their fish. How insane is that? The government owns everything. Nothing resembling a free market exists in Cuba. One final point on this argument is some of the claims made by the Cuban government and its defenders claim that Cuba can't buy food or medicine from U.S. companies. This claim is not true. More on that in a minute. Now, the second argument is that the U.S. embargo is the root cause of all the suffering on the island nation, usually made by folks who lean left politically. Right away, I call bullshit on this one for the simple fact that we've had several Democratic presidents and many democratically controlled congresses over the last 60 years, and none of them ever ended the embargo completely, leading me to believe that there is more to the story than that. President Obama, to his credit or fault, depending on your perspective, did his part to loosen restrictions of the embargo. In fact, he was the first U.S. president to visit Cuba in 88 years. Calvin Coolidge was the last one to visit. Remember that for your next trivia game. Obama called for Congress to end the embargo, calling it outdated. He also lifted some restrictions, such as allowing American travelers to bring back from Cuba up to $100 worth of tobacco and alcohol products. And he issued regulations allowing American companies to sell to Cuba on credit on sales of non-agricultural goods. More on that in a minute. And while the embargo prohibits pure tourism, Obama's changes basically turn that ban into a toothless honor system, requiring travelers to self-report the purported legal reason for their travel to their airline or travel agent, and then not engage in, quote, tourism while they're on the island. In the end, I'd give Obama an A for effort, but he never got the help he needed from Congress. The embargo, in fact, has been used time and time again by the Cuban government to obscure what the Cubans on the island call the internal blockade. The economic and political restrictions imposed by the Communist Party with the support of the extensive military and security apparatus. Libertarian Jason Hornberger explains, quote, If Biden really cared about the Cuban people, he would do everything he could to persuade the Pentagon, the CIA, and Congress to lift the U.S. embargo totally and permanently. That would enable Americans and foreigners to travel freely to Cuba and spend and invest money there. It would also enable American businesses to import goods from Cuba. Those things would go a long way towards relieving the economic plight of the Cuban people, despite the continuation of their socialistic system. He continues, At the very least, lifting the embargo would remove the ability of the Cuban authorities and their left-wing supporters here in the United States to continue blaming the dismal economic conditions in Cuba solely on the embargo. The entire focus of that point would be on the horrors of Cuba's socialistic system, end quote. The final camp I have come across is folks who argue that embargoes are wrongheaded, stupid, and in the end, completely useless. Hardcore libertarians like Hornberger tend to lean in favor of this line of thinking. Here's another quote from Hornberger explaining that, quote, by the same token, economic embargoes inflict massive economic suffering on the people of a targeted nation. Just ask the people of Iraq, who lost hundreds of thousands of children to U.S. sanctions in the 1990s. He goes on, The entire point of the U.S. embargo is to knowingly, intentionally, and deliberately bring death and suffering to the Cuban people. 
The idea has been to inflict so much death and suffering on the Cuban people that they rise up and oust Cuba's communist regime from power and reinstall a pro-U.S. dictatorship in its stead. End quote. Folks in this camp would argue that the Cuban protests we saw recently will actually encourage the U.S. to maintain and strengthen their embargo in the hope that the economic situation will become even worse, thereby encouraging more protests. So that lays out the three main arguments related to the U.S. embargo. Now, let's look at the details of it and see if we can decipher if any of the arguments hold water. The six-decade-old embargo does restrict some U.S. trade, travel, and financial transactions with Cuba. However, it has been compared to a block of Swiss cheese, given the number of holes in it. As a general rule, the embargo prohibits all U.S. transactions involving the Cuban government, or persons living in Cuba. The country of Cuba is banned from using the U.S. financial system, and currently there are no direct banking relationships between the two countries. Other restrictions make it more difficult for the island to acquire goods overseas that have more than a 10% American-made components. But the embargo does not prevent Cuba from trading with other countries. It's not a blockade. Just like Americans, Cubans can buy TVs from South Korea and cars from Japan and Germany. But the problem is, prices in the government stores are well beyond the average worker's reach, which has nothing to do with the embargo. TVs generally cost over $1,000, cars over $50,000, while the country's monthly minimum state wage is the equivalent of $88. Contrary to the Cuban government's propaganda, there is no ban on selling food and medicine or telecommunication services to Cuba. In fact, most of the chicken that Cubans eat, for example, come from the United States. The embargo does require Cuba to pay up front for food without financing from U.S. companies. The requirement, however, hasn't prevented Cuba from buying millions of dollars worth of food from the U.S. every year. In 2020, Cuba bought almost $160 million in chicken, grain, and even toilet paper, and the U.S. ranked third as the island's trading partner for agricultural imports, just below the European Union and Brazil, and well ahead of China. This according to Congressional Research Service in May. The embargo regulations also authorize transactions related to humanitarian needs or designed to directly benefit the Cuban people, such as medical and health-related projects, disaster preparedness, or environmental concerns, among others. American companies are also allowed to help improve Cuba's crumbling infrastructure in key areas such as public transportation, water management, public housing, health and education, but, there's, but these are not opportunities that the island's government makes public. Americans can donate food, medicines, and medical supplies, communication devices, and other items to the people of the island, but it's not a straightforward process as you can imagine. The communist government has the last word about what actually gets into the country and usually blocks aid sent by the U.S. government or Cuban exiles. And on the U.S. side, organizations and activists that send aid to Cuba complain about the red tape and lack of clear guidance. As I wrap up this episode, it's worth noting that the U.S. embargo on Cuba essentially forced the island nation into a highly dependent relationship with the Soviet Union, which was devastating to the Cuban economy when the USSR dissolved in 1991. So, what do you think? Which camp has got it right when it comes to the issue of the United States embargo on Cuba? Are the people of Cuba suffering because of the communist socialistic system? Or is the suffering the direct result of the embargo? 
And what do you think about the third camp that calls for an end to all embargoes and sanctions? After learning about the details of the embargo, I tend to fall in the camp that the Cuban government bears the majority of the burden and blame. And I'm sympathetic to the third claim about the ineffectiveness of embargoes and sanctions in general. I don't agree that America has to put its nose in everyone's business, even if that business resides only 90 miles off the coast of Florida. And for goodness sake, it's, it's been over 60 years. How about we try something else? Certainly we don't want to do anything to enrich the Cuban government. I get that, but can we do something different? Like maybe, maybe just end the embargo for a decade and see what happens? At the end of the day, this is yet another example of an issue that you can have your biases confirmed if you want. You can find a news outlet and or a talking head to tell you what you want to hear, unless you do the hard part and dig a little deeper and seek the truth for yourself. And that is the truth, at least I think, about the United States embargo on Cuba. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Podcast.